Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Priya Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm here today with my guest, Crisco Liachko Johnston, founder of Eclipse Research. So welcome, Crystal. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me today. So, Crystal, tell me about yourself and your experience in nonprofit. And I love this because I am such a data-driven person. So this will be a bunch of value bombs for my listeners. Perfect, hopefully. So, yeah, I began my career in nonprofit in 2009. My first career was a prospect researcher for St. John's Ravenscourt School in Winnipeg. So they're an independent K-12 school. And when I applied for the position, I almost hate to admit sometimes, but I had never heard of the term prospect research. I had never worked with nonprofits or in fundraising. At the time, I was completing my master's degree in history. And once I got the position, in order to expand my prospect research knowledge, I joined APRA. So APRA is the Association of Professional Researchers for Advancement. And even though I didn't have a clue what prospect research was when I started, I quickly realized that it was a fantastic fit for my skills and my interests. So I worked with St. John's until their capital campaign ended in 2015. And at that time, I decided to start a prospect research consulting firm that I named Eclipse Research Group. Going out on my own as a consultant was terrifying, but I have no regrets. As a consultant, I'm able to work with organizations of all sizes in a variety of sectors. There are many reasons why nonprofits enlist a prospect research consultant. Sometimes they have prospect research staff in-house, but they need additional support when things are busy. And for many of the smaller nonprofits, it's simply that they can't afford to have a prospect researcher on staff full-time, but still require research. Wondering for folks out there who are unfamiliar with prospect research as a practice, tell us a little bit more about what that means. Is it exclusively individuals or are you also looking at foundations and corporations for revenue? Yeah. So prospect research, we're looking at individuals, we're looking at corporations, we're looking at foundations. It's basically just a technique used to learn more about donors' personal backgrounds. And if it's a company, it's about the company's past, a foundation, it's the foundation's past, as well as past giving histories, wealth indicators, their philanthropic motivations, and also evaluating the individual their, or the corporation or foundation. So their ability as well as their interests. So tell me a little bit about your process. So I know that many an executive director is tearing their hair out because they're like, oh, my board says that they don't know any rich people for fundraising. And I know that can be a source of frustration. So tell me a little bit more about how prospect research might be able to help with that problem. In that sense, we do a lot of prospect identification. So we can look at if it's a board member and they're wondering who they can approach, we can look at their connections. So we can look at what boards they sit on. We can look at who's also on the board. We can look at those individuals' interests, their giving interests, what their other board memberships are. And we can go from there. I mean, sometimes it's just looking at maybe the donor list of a similar organization and just seeing who gives 
there, both individuals and corporations. Mm-hmm. And are you, assume, also looking at similar employment, similar school backgrounds and so forth? That's right. I mean, with the private school, I mean, sometimes it's their kids attend the same school mm-hmm. and they know each other through the PA. Or yeah, they just have similar friends. Maybe they're both snowbirds. Yeah, it's looking for interests in what they do outside of work. It's looking at what they do for work. Sometimes it's looking at their families. Maybe their kids are on the same team or something and they get to know each other and realize that they both have an interest in cancer research or something. So, Got it. So you mentioned that you're looking at affinity and capacity. I'm wondering when you're looking at potential prospects, like what sort of information are you giving the nonprofit with respect to identifying someone who might be a good prospect versus someone who may not be? Mm -hmm. So when we're identifying someone, we're providing much less information than if we're doing a brief profile, or we have profiles called wealth indicator reports that are more centered on wealth. We also have full profiles, which have pretty much everything we need on the person, including personal information, employment information, board memberships, and connections through that board. But when we're identifying someone, it's looking at why are we identifying them. So we're looking at what they've given to in the past, We're looking at maybe what they're interested in. Maybe they were on a MS bike tour for multiple sclerosis, something like that. And we're looking at capacity. So when it's identification, it's a much broader capacity. So we're looking at what their past gifts have been, maybe what's their highest gift to someone in the sector why was it given? When was it given? And are these prospects being mined from an existing database or are you pulling in new prospects? Generally, when I'm working with an organization, we're looking for prospects that they don't have in their database. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in some cases, we will look at a client's database and we will mine it for maybe the top 20 or 50 or 100 maybe lapsed donors or donors they've had one gift from and haven't heard from again in a long time and they're just kind of sitting in the database. Mm -hmm. Um, We can do that as well. Let's assume that you have identified a bunch of potential prospects and the nonprofit's like, okay, great. These look like people that we should be talking to. Do you also help with pitching at the right level? Because I've, and I say this to my clients all the time, just mm-hmm. because somebody could give you a hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean that they're inclined to or going to. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when we calculate the capacity of a prospect, we do that, but then we also look at their affinity in order to, usually I provide them on my profiles, it's called a potential ask amount. Mm. So I'm saying this is their capacity, this is what they could give, but I recommend that this is what is the range you ask for. And usually there's explanation. It's, you should ask for this because they have given in this range, this is their interests. They Yes, they give to the arts, but maybe they're more involved in healthcare. So It's looking at their interests just as much as capacity. So that brings up an interesting question because I think there's kind of two pieces to this. There's obviously the the data and understanding what people mm-hmm. could give and might be inclined to give. And then there's the strategy of how how to land the gift. And I'm yep. wondering, do you provide any support around that? Because I think, look, 
obviously, if you have a bunch of prospects that you could give, that's one thing. But if you don't actually know how to initiate contact or how to cultivate or steward a gift, like that's another issue. That's right. So yes, that is another component is the strategy. And sometimes it's as simple as maybe I'm looking at a couple and more interested in the husband just because he sits maybe on a board with someone, but we look at the wife and she's really interested in this cause. So then it's maybe invite them to this event, make sure you speak with the wife as well as the husband. So something along with that, or it can be looking at connections And this person is on the Young Professionals Organization, and so is this member of our campaign committee. Maybe he should invite him over for a tour of the facility. So yeah, along those lines. I mean, I find my strategy, I think, is definitely more broad because I'm not working with the donors. I'm I'm giving the fundraisers just different tips that they could employ when they're going forward. Great. And so have you noticed that it's become easier or more difficult to find information on people? So I I know like we're living in an age where we're all acutely aware of data breaches and people are understandably much more sensitive about their data. Yet at the same time, we have more access to more information than we ever did in human history. So I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. what are these trends? What do they mean for your business? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely don't think there's less information out there now. I know people are more conscious about maybe what they're putting on social media. They have stronger security. People that aren't connected with them can't necessarily see all of their Instagram or their Twitter or their Facebook. And that's fine. I mean, a lot of the things that I'm looking at is sometimes it's looking at someone's LinkedIn profile. And it's just to ensure that I know where they're working right now. And maybe I know where they went to school. I find the property records, they vary. In Canada, they vary by province. In the States, they vary by state. So there's some that are really easy to find. And I can find who owns that property. I can find the value of the property. And sometimes if the property value isn't listed or that state has very strong security. And then I'm just doing a, maybe I'm looking at Zillow just to see what that property is valued at. So it it varies. It varies by person to person. I find the older generation is a lot harder to find online. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm searching through newspaper archives to find their family information or a quote about where they worked. So... That's interesting. So that's a great segue. What data sources are you using to find information? So you mentioned LinkedIn, you mentioned other social media outlets, you mentioned property records and possibly Zillow. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you would recommend? Well, I do. There are a number of prospect research sources that you can subscribe to. So one that I subscribe to that is my favorite is Blackbaud's NOSA search. So what that does is they take all of the published donation records. Mm -hmm. So I subscribe to both the Canadian and the U.S. records. And instead of me searching through annual reports and donor lists, I can just go there. I can type in a company name. It will pop up with all of their published donations. Mm. NOSA, it's N O. Z-A. Noza. Okay. And we'll make sure. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Anything else? Mm -hmm. Anything else you use? I mean, I use 
a lot. And again, it depends. I mean, I'm looking at the SEC documents for insider trading and insider stock information. In Canada, it's called CEDAR, but which is S-E-D-A-R. So it's very similar. That's for Canadian companies. I'm looking at if they're in a medical field and they work at a hospital as a doctor, usually their salary is published. I'm looking at if they own a boat or they own an airplane. There are actually government listings that list those depending on the size of their their luxury item. Sometimes I'm looking at if I know they own artwork, I'm looking up the valuation of artwork. If I know they own a racehorse, I'm looking up the valuation of how much this racehorse was bought or sold for. And yes, property records for cottages and homes. Yeah, a political donations even in both Canada and the US. Mm-hmm. So there is, I mean, the the sources change for the individual and where they live. And if I'm looking at companies, sometimes I'm looking at their annual reports to find revenue and liabilities and income and all of that information. Or sometimes it's, I'm looking at Hoovers for that if they're not, if they don't publish their own listings. Got it. And does this Mm -hmm. also work for the ultra wealthy? So here in New York, of course, we have a tremendous amount of wealth and I know that the ultra wealthy go to great lengths to hide the sources of wealth. And so I'm just wondering, is that something that you found to be true? And if so, is there any way to crack that code? Well, there are ways that they do hide their wealth, like you stated LLCs, but some of them also give through a donor advised Mm -hmm. fund, which then we track. Sometimes they're giving anonymously. So those are definitely ways that they hide their wealth. But even though they're hiding it in those cases, there's still giving individually and some usually. Like I don't think I've come across anyone that's given anonymously 100%. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not the same level of gift or maybe they're giving through their corporation. But we can still look at other information that we have. Maybe we still have their stock information. Maybe we still have their estimated salary. Maybe we have the value of their boat. I don't mm-hmm. know, but... Just when I put together a capacity, so I use a formula. So I take all of the items that I have. And I mean, there's different ways that people come up with these numbers, but maybe it's 10% of their annual income mm-hmm. would be it would be one indicator. So then I weigh it against all the other indicators. And usually you have, when you're looking at all of those numbers, maybe it's five numbers I've come up with. If there's one, maybe they're giving is really low, maybe I'll say, okay, well, that doesn't fit with the rest of their wealth. So that wasn't a clear indication. So there's different ways of looking at it. I mean, it is frustrating. I came across a couple a few weeks ago that, yeah, they give through a donor advised fund. And it's like, you know, that they've given more than 10,000 to this organization, but how Mm -hmm. much? And that's I mean, that's something that will never... Right, right, right. So just to clarify, so you're saying that when you look at five different numbers, are these five different numbers of traditional giving or the, you know, a variety of different numbers like, you know, salary? variety. Mm -hmm. So I would take usually your different aspects of wealth. So one would maybe be luxury items. And I would look at how, how much luxury items they have. Maybe I found they have a vintage car, Maybe they have a boat. Maybe they have some artwork. I would come up with one number there. 
then I would look at their stocks and I would see this is how many stocks they own. I would come up with that number there and then same for income, same for giving and yeah, and just come up with the numbers and see if they make sense. Got it. Got it. I, so it just sounds like it's both a question of amassing the data and then making sense of the data. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know one of the services that you offer is that, that you offer to train staff to do research. And I'm just wondering, how do you do that? And what are the yeah. what are the ways that you teach staff how to do this? Okay. Well, usually when I'm training staff, it's staff that have never done prospect mm-hmm. research before. So I do a very, I call it introduction to prospect research in a lot of cases. So we're, we start off with a discussion about prospect research and the, prevent, and the principles. We also do a discussion of ethics because that is something that always comes up when we're talking about prospect research. I can't count the number of sessions I've taught when someone in the audience says, oh my God, that's so creepy that you can find all this stuff online. So, I mean, prospect research isn't creepy. It's public information. We're not becoming friends with someone to find the information. We're not spying on people. But I think it can be a little alarming for someone that doesn't realize what Mm -hmm. can be out there. So we discuss the ethics. And then we explore the elements of a research profile. So I explore it for individuals, corporations, foundations, And then mainly what I'm spending a lot of time with them on is finding and examining the sources. So we're looking at a bunch of subscribe to sources, but we focus on the free resources because that is what a lot of organizations are using. There's very few that subscribe to anything prospect research related. They're expecting to go online and find what they can for free. So we assist them with that, which is all the property records are free. Political giving is free. If you're willing to sift through annual reports and donor lists, all of that donor giving is free. So that's what we focus great, on with them. Great, great. And when you do staff training, generally, how long does that take? Is it a couple of days? Is it one day? Is it over a couple of weeks? Like, what are we talking about here? It varies. Usually, if we're doing training with a few staff members and we're actually going in and we're compiling maybe a profile or two together and just getting them comfortable with the process. Normally Mm -hmm. a day for sure. I've done some sessions where I've just focused on a portion of it. So maybe just looking at the wealth information and we can do that in a couple of, in a few hours usually. So got it. A lot of the time it's them getting comfortable with it. So what we do is we also allow a month of follow-up that they can contact me with any questions that they have as they start going through the sources. So Great. And so, I mean, a lot of my listeners are at various sizes and budgets of organization. And so I'm wondering, what size of organization and prospect list do you recommend doing this sort of research? Okay. Well, prospect research can be useful for any sized organization. I think it's the amount of research and what type Mm -hmm. of research that depends on the organization. So, I mean, if a nonprofit is in the planning stages or in the midst of a capital campaign, then they're usually requiring a large number of individual, corporate, and foundation, both prospects identified as well as research Mm -hmm. profiles for those that they're meeting. For smaller organizations, sometimes I actually spoke to an organization the other day. They've lost funding. They lost some government funding that 
has been instrumental in their organization the last Mm -hmm. nine years, and they will be losing it in 2020. So what they're looking for is a list of 10 prospects that they can contact. So foundations, corporations, just to recoup some of that funding they've lost. So it definitely varies and the needs change from year to year. There's some organizations I work with that maybe they only order 10 profiles a year just as they're meeting with people. So it definitely depends. Where are the source of the prospects coming from? Are they board member driven? Are they staff driven? Like where are we looking at the potential prospects? Well, sometimes they are. They're people that are board. Board members Mm -hmm. have recommended them and they think the organization should meet with them. Sometimes if I'm working with a private school in particular, usually in the summer, they're looking at new parents that are coming into the school and seeing who might be a good fit Mm -hmm. to meet Mm -hmm. with. And I mean, sometimes it's just looking at who is interested in that cause and going Got from it. there. And Crystal, you know, I'm going to ask this question because we're nonprofits and we're bottom line oriented, mm-hmm. but how much do these searches generally cost? Well, it depends. I mean, we have everything from just a prospect identification where we're just giving the name, the address, a rough capacity and why they were identified, looking at their past giving and those types of things. And those will start at around $50. When you're looking at a larger a complete profile. You're looking at about 200 to 25 so in that's that range. Per profile. Because, yes, just because those typically, I mean, if you're compiling a full profile on someone, it can take you sometimes two, three, four, five hours, depending on what information you can uncover. So, got it. And when you start to do the prospect research, are you doing any pre-interviews with like board members, for example, or like what kind of information do you need to start with? Well, usually I, at the very least, I would need their complete name if they know it, at least what city they live in and maybe their career. What I would, what I love to get is if there is someone that usually sends a few notes. So if you have a board member that knows them and they can send a few notes mm-hmm. along the way or if it's a staff member that has met with them in the past and has some tips, or maybe it's looking at their database and they have some notes from 10 years ago. I love to get whatever information I can because the more information I have, um, the more A, I can be clear that it's the correct Mm -hmm. person, especially with common names, and also just knowing a little bit about them that maybe I won't find that tip that they have in Razor's Edge a newspaper article. Got it. So, okay. So this is my final mm-hmm. question, but I'm, I'm a big fan of stories. So can you share any stories of either massive failures or raging successes? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question because I find that as a consultant, I mean, I'm doing the research and I'm passing it along to the teams, but I'm usually, I mean, I'll hear a little bit about what happened, but I don't always hear the full story, um, which is much different than being a prospect researcher on staff. I mean, my successes are, I just, I love hearing from nonprofits that received gifts from a prospect that I identified that they never would have thought of. I mean, I love assisting all types of campaigns and projects, but there's definitely a sense of accomplishment. A few years ago, I worked with a homeless shelter in Winnipeg and 
we did their capital campaign and just going to the opening of that shelter and actually getting to meet some of the the larger donors that I identified as it's very rewarding. It's there's nothing like knowing that you've helped people have access to that beautiful building. And I don't know about a favorite mistake. I definitely remember one instance of a whoops where I spent a few hours researching an individual. Just again, hearing from the nonprofit that they thought this person worked at this company. And I found that person and I started the profile. But a few hours into it, I came across some information on a different individual with the same name who is actually the same the person I should have been researching. So I had to start from the top and that happens. That's why I want to know as much information as I can at the start because names and careers and spouses can be very important when looking at people with yeah, common name. Totally got it. Well, Crystal, this has been super informative. I really appreciate your time. And I'd love to we'll make sure to link your information in the show notes and any other resources that you want to share with our audience. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks.